Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And today we're talking with another restaurant operator who's going to share his story of daily operations as well as new concept development and an opening that's right around the corner. Please welcome Sherman Young. Sherman, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Corner Booth. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again for having me. Really excited. So Sherman, tell us about your current concepts and also lead us into your journey into becoming a restaurateur. What brought you down that path going back as, as, as far as you wish? Yeah, so I, I guess kind of delving into my history a little bit. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Houston. I pretty much had no idea what I wanted. I mean, I still had no idea what I want to do. But for the vast majority of my life, I had no idea what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So, you know, I went to the college route. I actually went to UH and graduated with a marketing degree. Didn't do anything with marketing because I was horrible at school. Didn't pay attention. But I ended up working an office job. I did a little bit of like operations and accounting here and there. Probably about six to eight years or so. Probably around six to eight years. Um, and I actually didn't. So I graduated college in 2010. So, so it was six to eight years from there. And I didn't really actually pick up cooking until 2016. You know, because a lot of chefs and restaurateurs, they, you know, they grew up cooking. They grew up around the industry, whether it's their parents or their friends or whatever. Um, but I was not really the case. I just happened to pick it up as a hobby. And I just completely fell in love with it. Um, and not necessarily the cooking aspect, but just. I guess the results of cooking, right? You're getting to unite with people, share stories, and just have good conversation. Um, so that's what really drew me into it. But even when I got into it as a hobby, I was very adamant at that time that I did not want to go into the restaurant industry because it was, it was a hobby and I was just afraid of mixing uh, profession and hobby because I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to burn out, potentially burn out if, if you mix it and then you end up hating it. And then, you know, that's that. Sure. So I, I actually avoided it for a long time. I guess I dabbled here and there. So my first restaurant experience, if you will, was actually uh, staging, which is um, basically interning at um, Oxheart a long time ago. I think that was like six years ago. And that, that was a very eye-opening experience for me because that was a very prestigious restaurant that went to, that was willing to take me in for an internship and, and teach me what, what they knew. And, and shortly after that, uh, probably in 2000, uh, I'm getting my timelines mixed up a little bit. I think it was actually 2017 when I got a part-time job at Yoacha. It was actually a, a high-end dim sum place that opened up around that time, but they closed down, um, I think like last year or so. So I would actually work my full-time office job and then at night go and steam dim sum, which is interesting. Uh, so I did that for about six months or so. There's one point where I was just unhappy at my office job. And then I kind of just took it as a sign of like, hey, you know, if this is your calling, if you really want to jump to the restaurant industry, there's no other sign than this. Like, you should just do it. So I did. Um, and it was, it was actually a really uh, interesting transition for me because it was actually at that time, it was Harvey, Hurricane Harvey hit at that time. 
Um, so I was dealing with that and dealing with a whole new um, transition. So and feel free to interrupt me, by the way. I, There's a lot of people who listen to this who are wondering how people got into the business and wondering, well, if my path is the right path. And they hear somebody like yourself and they go, hey, I'm like this guy. I, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And, and now, look, he's running a restaurant. So so keep going. I think it's it's interesting. Yeah. So so actually, so that's a good point, because actually, before I continue my timeline, uh, I want to take you guys back to my actual thought process of deciding whether to go into the restaurant industry or not. <clears throat> and I remember specifically my, my struggle, my, my mental struggle, because for me, I'm a very, I guess, a structured person and I, I, I cannot base my life off of uncertainty. Right. So, so for example, if I was in, if I stayed with an office job, I could tell you guys where I'd be in a year. I'd tell you how much I'd be making. I could tell you my current mood, uh, whether that's happy or sad, but th- these were answers I could give you. But if I told you I was going to jump in the restaurant industry, I had no idea if I would make it. I have no idea if I'd actually like it. I, yeah. I, there's just so many uncertainties. I could not answer it. And that just gave me a lot of anxiety. So this was very hard for me to jump into completely blindly jump into like the restaurant industry uh, because it's different from having one foot in one foot out and then completely just surrounding your day job, your, your secure structured day job and going to something that you don't even know if you're going to make it two days or not. So, but uh, fortunately I'm still here. So I, I guess it kind of worked out. <laughs> Anyways. So uh, to continue the timeline. So I did Yoacha for about three months. Cause again, I was kind of juggling the recovery of Harvey and I just remember around that time, and this was October, November, I was like, man, I actually jumped into the restaurant industry, um, but I want to do more, right? As much as I love dim sum, as much as I love connecting with my roots, which is uh, my family's from Hong Kong, as much as I love connecting with it, I just felt like dim sum was pretty closed ended, right? Um, so like, because the skills you learn at dim sum, you can technically only do dim sum. Um, so I felt like I was kind of limiting myself because I was always kind of challenging myself every single day and see how far I can push myself. So at that point, I hail married and applied to uh, two uh, restaurants, which are Uchi and Aki at that time. Um, and fortunately, I was able to get a job offer for both. And I decided to go with Uchi <clears throat> because uh, I... I just knew Uchi would really push me uh, physically and mentally. And that's the kind of discipline I wanted. Actually, so to rewind a bit, I forgot to mention that I actually had a part-time job at Izakaiwa a long, long time ago. I think that was 2014, 2014 or so, 2014, 2015. So that was like my first foray into the restaurant industry. Um, so that, that kind of ties in why I went back to Uchi because I, I, um, I started with sushi. So I, felt like I should continue. Well, and those are very good groups. I think some of the listeners yeah. will certainly recognize those names from Oxheart and uh, Uchi. You selected, obviously, yeah. some very high quality driven uh, independence. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm so thankful I, I got a job offer at Uchi. I was, so I uh, started from the bottom, started as a prep cook, and fortunately was able to work my way up to a sushi chef. So... Yeah, I did that for about a year, a little over a year. Um, I left because I, I just knew eventually I wanted to do my own thing. Um, I, I felt like cooking was still a hobby and a passion for me. But if people were to ask what I enjoy doing professionally, I would say on the business side. 
Um, so I, I knew eventually I kind of wanted to do my own thing, whether that's going to work out or not. So um, took another jump there, left Uchi, um, and somehow stumbled upon this opportunity to actually purchase Tobio. I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Tobio was actually started in 2017, and I purchased it in 2018. I'm sorry. Let's start 2018. I purchased it 2019. I get my dates mixed up. Well, we've really got some fast track movement here, Barry. I mean, I don't, I can't think of too many people that we have heard um, that, you know, started from interning, um, learning, knew that they wanted more and then took an opportunity to purchase a restaurant and then successfully operated a restaurant and did all that in a five to six year period. Yeah, that's, that's I don't know. moving quickly, but um, in some ways, in other ways, uh, it wasn't like he jumped into it. Sherm, you didn't jump into this overnight. You, you, you kind of had a pretty long run up to that point, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I wouldn't say I would recommend this route to everyone, but I mean, I, I think I've been completely blessed in my whole journey with with the whole array of support I had. Because without friends, family, then there's no way I could have survived. When you, when you bought that restaurant, um, it, it was launched a year before you bought it. Um, so that, that uh, I find that curious. Um, yes. When you decided what, you know, to get into the restaurant business by buying another restaurant, which is some people launch concepts from the ground up, some people buy other concepts, uh, you know, there, there's lots of ways of getting into it. But um, why that particular restaurant was it? Because if it was being sold within a year after launching, maybe the owners were struggling and wanted to get out of it. Was there something about the particular menu or, or concept that you liked that you wanted to carry forward? Um, what, what was your thinking process? How did you analyze that decision? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's actually important to mention that before I stumbled upon Tobio to purchase, I actually wanted to open up my own concept. Um, I, I had everything planned out um, from the menu and everything. I wanted to do a fast, casual um, uh, Japanese Donbury style cafe, if you will. Um, but ultimately, I decided to purchase because I mean, obviously there's pros and cons to, to, to both. Um, the, so why I decided to purchase instead of starting from scratch was um, so the pros were uh, all the operations were already set in place. Right, because if I were to start from completely scratch, I don't have experience. I don't know if a concept's going to work. I mean, I don't even know if the operations I had in mind was going to work. Um, yeah, so the biggest pro was operations already set up. <clears throat> Two, the staffing was already there, uh, hoping that no one would leave, which is actually a pretty big gamble. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are the, the two biggest things, the two biggest reasons why I decided to purchase. Um, sure, some people can argue that that's a bigger risk because usually I assume when new owners take over a restaurant, everyone just completely dips because they assume that the new owner is going to come change everything, which is usually most of the case. And they, they kind of get scared and they just jump shit, which I don't, I don't blame them. Did, did, did the restaurant um, have a good uh, uh, base of consumers was the menu solid were the people working there 
was it was it was it well operated or was did you walk in there and go hmm, there's a there's a bunch of things i want to change one and two i want to put a little bit more of my signature on everything i'm not necessarily interested in in basically stepping into the shoes of the old owners and then uh just doing what they were doing every day yeah uh, i'd say definitely both so so the first i feel let me see how to explain it so i feel that, so if if Whoever's listening don't, doesn't know. Uh, Tobio's out in the suburbs, um, and uh, all my experiences in, in the restaurant industry have been in inside the city, which is different crowd, if you will. So, being in the suburb, the I feel like that restaurant, the, the previous Tobio, was trying to grasp too wide of an audience. <clears throat> I felt like their high end was way too high end. Their low end was too low end. Right. So I feel like they're really. I don't know, indirectly creating two audiences, but it just doesn't work. Like I think the high end was too high end for the suburbs. Um, so when people come in, when diners come in, I think they get confused, right? Because they see, you know, extremely expensive taste and menu items. And then they see like a kid scribbling fiercely in a crayon next to them. You know, <laughs> I think it kind of gets diluted there. So, so, so that was the biggest thing, which I, I wanted to change was pretty much lower the high end a little bit, increase the, low end a little bit and kind of meet it in the middle. So you really capture more of your audience. Um, but, so, and, and, and to your second point, I definitely want to add my own flair, if you will, sure. um, because I, the, the previous restaurant was owned by another chef or not owned. It was, it's operated by another chef who was extremely disciplined. So I feel like basically to summarize it, everyone all front of the house, back of the staff was walking on eggshells. Um, and I wanted to just create, just a more, for lack of better words, a chill environment, like a really warm environment that, you know, everyone feels comfortable working, you know, they can speak their mind if they want to add their own personality to it, then by all means, please. Right. So, um, so, so those are the two biggest reasons. Yeah. Well, Chris, you know, one thing I wanted to, that, that really jumps out at me is, you know, you talk to people who are coming to a new restaurant and they're, and they're making so much changes. And the first things they're talking about are the menu or um, their marketing. And then Sherman leads with fixing the culture. Yes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, yeah. to me, is, is just super smart because how do you get anything else done if your team isn't, feeling good about it. I think that's a good point, Barry. And I hope, uh, yeah, the listeners take note of that, that if you are in a situation, we all realize menu is the heart. Uh, and, and, you know, Sherman, you made some very good points about trying to make things a little bit more simple. You improved the focus of the menu. Um, obviously that became more consistent, but just because menu, menu really is the heart of the concept and it best represents the concept without becoming more of a people forward, all inclusive type of work environment, none of that is gonna get done. So it's good that you realized that um, and addressed it. I think I would like to, uh, I mean, obviously we wanna learn more about the concept and how you moved it forward and did things, but if you could explain to the listeners, maybe just a half a step back, how you pulled it off. Because here you were with an idea of doing a counter service Japanese style restaurant, you had the plan, you're out looking for locations, but then you did this instead. Was this something that was maybe easier to get financed or was this still startup financing where you relied on friends and family? If you could kind of walk the listeners through how you actually put your package together, got the funding and made it work. 
Yeah, I mean, I think financially, you're probably roughly the same, whether you're starting a restaurant from scratch or purchasing. Um, so I did have some help from my parents, which I'm very grateful for. Um, so they helped me with the, the financial purchase. Um, and, and, and I guess circling back to another pro of purchasing an existing operation is you have everything there. Um, given you don't want to, you know, overhaul everything, but you, you have, you have the essentials, you have the bones there, you have all the equipment, you have, you have everything there. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. Well, wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, now let's kind of continue then. So how, how is it working now? Um, uh, this, this year, the, the conditions that we've had, um, the things that we hear, tough, tough labor, tight margins, supply constantly interrupted. Um, how has this concept uh, been thriving during a year that we've had? Um, I'm not sure, honestly. I, I just know I'm thankful every single day to be open my, opening my doors. But I think the biggest lesson I've learned um, through COVID actually was you have to adapt. I learned this through COVID and actually learned through the very first six months of owning Tobio. Um, so to kind of explain more on that, I remember purchasing Tobio, I had like, I had a whole sheet of ideas of what to do to, to change everything. Um, and then I think within two months, I was like, well, that's not going to work. So, and if I was stubborn and I didn't want to adapt, I definitely would have went out of business by then. Um, and of course with COVID, uh, with restaurants shutting down, we having to shut down, um, and, and at that time, I was already starting to influence the menu and our menu is more on the, not more so, our, our, our menu focuses on the presentation side. So it doesn't translate well to, to go. Um, so again, with being shut down and going to go only, you have to adapt to the times. Otherwise, if you're stubborn, then you're definitely going to go out of business. Um, yeah, so it's really about learning how to adapt, um, which really helps me keep forward. Um, so yeah, it, to talk about troubles today with, with labor shortages and, and food shortages, uh, food shortages, I, I, I try and I, I don't really like, I mean, I guess no one does. I don't like raising prices um, because at the end of the day, people want to come in and eat. And then if they get, they get a little turned off if they keep seeing price hikes. So I, I do my best to, to not do that. If, if I have to, then I'll just completely ax an item and, and just don't care it. If, if I make too low of a margins or if I, forced to you know raise the price i'll just completely just not do it um but labor shortages uh on the tobio side fortunately we haven't had too many issues um i i try to do my very best and i guess any of my team members can refute this statement but i do my very best to take care of my people um and i, I try to make everyone happy so hopefully i think one of the things i'm most proud of um, i'm not saying i directly have influence on this but one of my proudest takeaways of Tobio is my employee retention rate. I think um, I have a, a lot of team members that are still with me since even before I took over. So that's something I'm very thankful for. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Can you give us a little idea of about how many staff members? Are you full service with a bar? Are you lunch and dinner? Do you have private parties? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, full service, um, lunch and dinner. We do have a private dining room. Um, yeah, so I think I have about 40 to 50 team members. Mm -hmm. And actually, yeah, so to, to finish my statement about MoneyCat, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but uh, hiring for MoneyCat has been quite challenging and stressful. 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned money, Kat. Let's talk about this because as if you didn't have enough to do after you buy Tobio and you are going <laughs> through the adjustments there and you're a first-time concept owner, you start developing a totally new concept. And so maybe you could walk us through how you decided to do that. And, uh, and then where did the idea come from? What's the concept going to be? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, but I can't explain a lot of things I do because I don't know either. <laughs> but um, I think, uh, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm completely happy with Tobio. I, there, there's nothing I would really change for Tobio. But when people ask me what's the difference between Tobio and Money Cat, the new restaurant, I like to describe it as I feel like Tobio is a very diverse restaurant. So it caters to uh, people who have never eaten sushi before. It caters to people who love sushi. It caters to date nights and it caters to families. So it's a very diverse crowd, which means it's a very diverse menu. So being inside the loop, um, I'm, I'm very happy to return to the loop because again, I've, I've worked inside the loop. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've experienced that side um, and, and I enjoy, I guess, like the up the, I enjoy like how, how, how fast paced it is. Um, so knowing that, and I know people inside the loop generally um, are much, have much higher standards when it comes to restaurants. Um, so I basically say Money Cat has a much more direct customer base and direct menu. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest difference between those two. Um, so, and, you know, and, and I, I guess recognizing that um, and just me personally, really wanting to start a restaurant from the very ground up um, has kind of been one of my dreams. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much the motivation behind it. For our listeners who are um, not from Houston, Chris or Sherman, you want to explain the significance of the loop? It sounds like there's uh, something that uh, Houstonites would appreciate, but maybe not people from uh, California or New York. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Houston has the best freeway systems. I'll, I'll preface this first. But um, so, yeah, at the loop, we have the 610 loop, uh, which is a, a freeway that is literally a, a circle or a square, if you will. So everything inside there is is um, the, the city, if you will. Inside the Beltline, as they would say, any place else. There you go. Yeah. Inside the Beltline. That's where all, every, that's, uh, all the, yeah. all the cool kids hang out. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think I think our guest is just kind of dancing around being polite. But yeah, I think every listener knows it, whatever market you have, that inner urban area where things are a little more trendy, where basically the cool kids hang out with the nice watches and the fast cars. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not alienating suburban people. That's not me. Let me clarify <laughs> that. <laughs> but uh, it's also the more expensive uh, offices, probably the higher residential. Yes. So now you're talking to playing to a more limited and also higher uh, demographic as far as a customer clientele, correct? Yeah, yeah, and I'd say I'm definitely competitive by nature, whether that's inside the restaurant industry or outside the restaurant industry. <clears throat> I, I think it sounds very stupid to, to say that, um, but yeah. So talk about Money Cat. Uh, love the name. Um, <laughs> I understand part of it was a result of your drive to do something from the ground floor. Okay. How did you find the location, raise the funds? Um, how big will it be? Is it, you know, because we hear more restaurants trying to open up now being smaller in scope. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the facility. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, 4140 square foot, uh, which is actually uh, pretty much the same size as Tobio. I think we're aiming for about 200 to 220 maximum capacity. Okay. <clears throat> it's, um, it's actually, so the, it's not inside a building, but it's in a building um, called Kirby Grove. So we're at, it, it's on the outside. I don't know really, I'm probably describing this really horribly, but it's on the first floor of an office building, but it has outdoor access. Does that sure. make sense? It has, it has valley up to it as well too. Um, yeah, so it's so the building's called Kirby Grove. Um, it's it's next to the freeway. It's next to um, more. It's a street down from the street called Kirby, which is a very popular area. Um, and actually, right next to Kirby Grove is uh, Levy Park, which is a very nice park that you know, has a dog park, has outdoor seating, outdoor activities um, that just draws a lot of crowds of, of, of all ages. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's a very good area, and I think I was actually wanted to uh, open up in the Heights, uh, which is another area inside the Loop, but it's actually more on the suburbia side. A lot of families live there, um, and the Heights is it's um, very up and coming, um, but it, it didn't really make financial sense for me because actually the Heights are the Heights is actually extremely expensive. So I was actually able to find a really good deal. I not really find a good deal. I was able to find a good deal and negotiate a good deal on my lease. Um, so that's what ultimately drew to to here. Um, because I, I, I don't think there are a lot of options I was really considering. I even consider East Downtown. So for those who, who don't know, um, uh, it, that one's definitely up and coming. Um, uh, Montrose is, is just a little too busy for me and it's also next to Uchi, which is my stopping ground. So I didn't want to compete with them. Um, so, so naturally, I kind of gravitated towards the Kirby area. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's just, you know, it, it, regardless whether you live in Houston or not, for the people listening to this, um, you know, the location is is everything just like it is in real estate. And, and the decisions you make um, geographically have multiple factors the the demographics the uh the the income of the people who are going to be visiting your restaurant the you know whether they're uh family oriented or whether they're people who are um more urban uh young urban oriented um all these things have to be considered to be successful you put the wrong concept in a place where it's just not going to jive with your demographic um, it's an uphill battle from the beginning. That's, that's, uh, that's what I'm hearing from you, Sherman. That's, that's how you kind of looked at all this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the, I guess, upsides of COVID is I think everyone was so cooped up inside so long that when everything quote unquote opened up, everyone was just happy to get out. So, um, you know, being trapped in your house for like a year or so, and then you're talking about a four to five minute drive to dinner, no problem. Oh yeah, yeah. Was, and we're, we're seeing that everywhere. I mean, you, you know, even in our market, you know, I'm, I'm going out a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night, you know, these are usually slow nights and places are packed, but yeah, you bring yeah, up COVID. Yeah. So you jump into the restaurant business or you walk boldly into the restaurant business in 2019. And then yay, a year later, everything is getting <laughs> shut down. Um, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you, you went into this with, with, with takeaway and off-premises dining as, as, a, as a good part of your business. So um, tell us, Sherman, how you navigated that issue 
you know, really just out of the gates and starting in the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So again, circling back, I, I really had to learn to adapt. So um, I guess specifically, I remember I had to create a bunch of menus to um, to be to go friendly, right? So that's obviously going more towards the maki, the sushi roll side. Um, you know, just focusing on items that were that could transport easily and not be affected by like to go box or whatever. Um, I actually just remember for a period of time, I was promoted to delivery driver. I remember I posted on my Instagram, my, my personal Instagram. That I was like, Hey, I, I, if you guys want to order, just hit me up. And then I'll more than happy to drive. I'll drive an hour if I have to just to deliver it to you. Um, so for a while I did deliver for a while. So, I mean, I, I enjoyed it and I was very grateful for those who wanted to support me. So um, yeah, so I did that for a little bit. So, so, so again, to summarize, it's really about just altering your menu to, um, fit the times if you will um and yeah it's even still a lot of people didn't want to leave the house to pick up so i was like yeah i was, I was delivered so this new concept money cat um has obviously um i'm sure profited by that knowledge and you've got in it um good plans for online ordering good packaging and delivery but I'm interested in knowing, too, the theory, though, that in, even though we know a lot of the market is doing that, it seems like MoneyCat is banking on the earlier point that you made, that people really want to become social again, because it's over 4,000 square feet. It's over 200 seats. Uh, it's got a full bar. Are you also doing private parties and banquets there, too? Uh, yeah, we have. Okay. A, uh, yes, basically. I'll just say yes, yeah. So how long of a process is an opening now going through and coming out of COVID? When did you start? Maybe you could educate the listeners a little bit about a very current opening, how long it took to get your idea designed, permitting, and where are you on the process now? Ooh, yeah. Um, so I signed the lease on October 14th, uh, 2021. And I remember that because it's my mom's birthday. So I use it as an excuse. I don't think she likes that. Um, but happy birthday, mom. I'm uh, getting into business. <laughs> yeah, I spent all this money for you. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the if I remember the timeline correctly, the uh, the permitting actually took quite a while. It took longer than I expected, which which caused me a lot of delays. Um, so uh, so I signed at least in October, and I, the the permitting was approved in April. Actually, yeah. So it took um, almost six months, even though I was anticipating two to four months. Um, and I know two is more on the aggressive side, but I was hoping yeah. for around four months. So being with six months, that actually naturally pushed me out. Um, but other than that, I, uh, yeah, I faced part shortages and such. Yeah, so, so to answer your question, I'm, I'm on the final stages of construction. Um, I'm installing my hood and the AC unit, which is the last thing I had to do major construction wise. Um, and the reason why there's a lot of delays is, uh, so so the uh, so I have to get a lot of things customized. So okay, so so this is one of the biggest things I've learned during construction and just in general starting a new restaurant, um, just really really understanding your space. So for example, um, when you go to Money Cat, it's 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 a long rectangle, if you will. And at the very end um, is where the kitchen is, but there's actually a parking garage right above me. And there's 
So the back of the kitchen, where uh, where the back of the restaurant, where the kitchen is, on top is actually a parking ramp. So um, at the back of the restaurant, it actually declines a little bit. Um, so with so with that space being kind of short, um, I had to uh, get a very specialized custom hood and especially customized walk-in and. Um, yeah, so that's what caused me a lot of delays because since it's so specialized, I had to you know order it directly from the manufacturer and get it custom made. Um, so that's what cost me a lot of money, and actually cost me a lot of time as well too. So, um, so I wouldn't. I mean, I would say general part shortages. Yeah, it had a play, um, but it's I guess technically it's my fault for not doing research and understanding the space, which led me to having to, you know, get such a custom, you know, uh, equipment, which caused me delayed. So. But this isn't that much out of line from what we're hearing, you know, Barry, where people sometimes are a little overwhelmed by the process and surprised that from the time you select your location and sign a lease to the time you actually get through permitting, design, construction and opening, that it's, you know, well over a year, probably 14, 15 months. And um, if you're installing your equipment in AC now and we're in September, you're probably, I'm guessing, hoping that you're just a couple months away from actually being able to open, maybe Thanksgiving, perhaps? Well, uh, we actually are aiming aggressively for mid-October. Uh, so this, the, the very last thing we need to do is just run the piping. So, so I guess routing back to describing how my setup is, because there's a parking ramp right above the kitchen, I have yeah. to route the, um, what's it called, the piping from the exhausted all the way to the front of the restaurant. So that's the last thing they're doing right now. But all my booths and tables, they're being manufactured right now. Um, so everything is, is coming together. So we are aggressively aiming for mid-October. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't, I haven't met any operator. I, I know operators who've been uh, in the business for 35 years, and then they decide they're going to you know, change up the interior and update it and everything and go through this process. And um I, I've never talked to one that 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 didn't you know become overwhelmed at some point because there's all the all the pieces that have to come together to make this work you know yeah yeah how are you yeah. overlapping you know your restaurant soft costs side of opening but by, by that I mean when do you let go for your pre-opening marketing and when do you bring your staff on if if you're hoping for a mid-October you know, that's like a month from now. When do you do your on-site training? How long do you think that'll last? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's tough to answer because I don't have a definitive opening date. Like if I knew I was for sure opening at this date, okay, just backtracking, you know, do training, hiring, or whatever. Um, but, you know, we're still working on the timeline of, of mid-October. So I think the biggest help for me right now is I'm bringing my main managers over from Tobio to MoneyCat. Um, so I have a core team that I can really rely on. And, and if you guys are listening, Lee, Ashley, Gio, Steve, um, those four really, uh, they're really pulling their weight and, and, and helping me take care of a lot of things. Um, yeah, so I guess working on that timeline, it's, it's about time now, uh, a month out or even a few weeks out that we're starting to hire. So uh, we actually put out, uh, front of the house, I'm not really worried. I feel like you can find a lot of service inside the loop. Back of the house is where I have more so concern. Um, I think mainly two reasons. One, maybe not so much in Houston, but I know I have a lot of friends in the industry in Chicago. They're just 
straight up just leave the industry, whether they get burnt out or it's, or it's mainly because they get burnt out, they just leave the industry. And two, I just know a plethora of, of restaurants are opening in Houston. I, I think Eric Sandler released like a like 50 restaurants that are opening like recently. So you're talking about competing with that too. So it's it, it's been it's been pretty stressful. Um, but I mean, what can you do? You just put out ads and you know offer good you know base paying benefits and then and then kind of go from there. So we are in the hiring phase right now. Um, and of course, uh, so Geo is Geo was my pastry chef at Tobio, and he's actually going to be my CBC, my chef de cuisine at Money Cat. So both him and I have been working on our menu for the past six, eight, ten months, honestly. So everything has been coming together. Yeah. That sounds great. It also sounds exciting. Uh, I think come together is probably the key point there. It's like putting a puzzle together, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Every piece has to fit, you know, bringing in the staff, starting the training, while inventory and small wares can be delivered, but construction is still finishing. So it, it is, it's, it's all about the coordination in order to save time. I, I hope it works out just like you're planning and you can get in and get established before that, you know, holiday season rush, because you should, you should be pretty busy, um, you know, for, for that period of time. Yeah. I mean, I guess back, back out to your uh, puzzle analogy, I think I just ended up just taking a hammer and just making pieces fit. So, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work. So, I mean, you just got to work with it. So what do you see uh, as changing in your role and responsibility going from the one unit you've been operating? Let's say it's you're starting the new year, which is just a few months away. And now you've got two units. Um, mm -hmm. How do you see the roles and responsibilities starting with yourself? Uh, changing in order to be able to maintain the multi-concept dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So, so fortunately, Tobio is is, is self-sustaining by now. Like, um, I, I have great people running it. Um, I I don't need to be there, and I've never really wanted to be an owner that's um, micromanaging. I don't want to be there every single day. Uh, I, it's just something I chose not to do. I just didn't want to be the owner. Um, but Money Cat, I'm, I'm much more excited because um, not that I'm going to micromanage or anything, but I actually, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I have a role there. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in the kitchen is, is run expo. So I'll mainly be running expo um, and, and just cooking here and there. Because at the end of the day, I, I do love cooking. Um, but yeah, but to answer your question, because Tobia is self-running at this point, all they need to do is, is run reports, make sure I, I know what's going on, where my cash flow is. Um, yeah, and that's really all I can do with Tobio. Um, and at, at that point, it's just pretty much copy and pasting. Um, so likewise with Money Cat, going to have weekly meetings, find out how the restaurant is doing, and really go from there, honestly. Sherman, you're a um, relatively young guy. You already said you're competitive. And Chris and I have talked to a lot of smart young operators like you. And um, and one of the questions we always come up with, well, you know, what's your long-term plan? You know, our, we come up through a generation where, you know, people would just essentially have their whole lives down on graph paper and they were going to have this many units and this is their dream and this is their goal and they were going to franchise. And then we run into a lot of younger operators who say, listen, you know, I'll, I'm just going to take it, take it step by step by step and, and the next opportunity uh, arises and I'll, I'll look at it in that point of view. Do, do you, I know you're in the middle of so much right now. It's hard to imagine anybody thinking of five years down the road, but what's your, what's, how do you look at the world in terms of 
where you're going. You've already had some success. You're, you're, you're gearing up for another success. Um, so you're learning, you're building confidence. Um, how's that affecting your, your long-term vision? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good question. I think, I, I think from, from very day one, I think my end goal was I knew I wanted to focus on a, on a work life balance. Um, I think it's just very important. Um, and I think at, at this point of age, um, I, I've never really been one to, to seek the spotlight or anything. Um, so I have no aspirations to, to be a very well-known chef or whatever. Um, so my goal really is just to take a step back um, and really create an environment to, to have other chefs really, you know, grow and learn. Um, so for me, I, I really eventually just want to work on a work-life balance. So I, I don't want to throw myself into the restaurants every single day. You know, I want to start a family, you know, I want to spend time with my wife, my family, um, future kids. Um, yeah. But also on that note, I have a billion ideas I want to do. Um, so it's really about finding a balance. So, um, I have about three concepts in mind that I have already extensively planned out. Um, but I think I had to take it one step at a time, make sure I don't bite off more than I can chew, see how money cat does and then go from there. But I do want to start other restaurants. So we got you wound up there. <laughs> well, you're know, the work life balance guy, but I got like uh, five other restaurants I want to start. And yeah. we'll be I interested mean, in watching this whole work life balance thing going yeah. forward. I mean, work life balance is relative. I'm giggling too because some of the, um, say, most successful uh, concept development people uh, might look back at their life. I'm thinking of big names that brought us multiple concepts like Sam Fox, um, uh, the Melman Let Us Entertain You group, um, large, very successful multi-concept management companies. They all started with exactly what you said. Johnny you know, Caraba wanted one. And I probably wanted one like, restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> I just want one restaurant. Yeah. And, and now that I've got my second one, you know, I've got these other ideas in my head, but you know, it's all about building my team and, and trying to have a little bit of life balance for me. Boom. Five more concepts come later. Exactly. You're going to be mean, very interesting to watch. I think, I think fortunate for me, since I worked outside the restaurant industry for so long, I've, I think I can separate myself, you know? I mean, I, I think a, a lot of your guests on this podcast, they've been in the industry since, I don't know, 10 years old. So, so they, they are glued to it uh, and voluntarily too, and, and rightfully so. And like, I, I find myself glued to it as well too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just knowing your own limit, um, just recognizing and really taking care of your own mental health too. And just understanding like, Hey, enough, enough, you have to draw a line. Um, and I mean, at, at, at a certain point too, you had to ask yourself, why, why are you doing this? I mean, is, is it to stroke your ego or is it to make more money? Like, you know, cause money isn't everything. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. Let me ask one other thing too, that might, uh, shed a light on how that balance can work a little bit easier. How, how are you finding your use of technology and running right now a one use company very soon, uh, a, a two kind con- Concept company, um, uh, what type of technology do you use in order to say maintain um, your your data, uh, your you know scheduling, labor, communication, knowledge of numbers? Because um, we're in an age where that kind of management style 
aids a little bit more in the work-life balance um, because you cannot be there and yet still feel like you are. Are there certain things that you're using or want to be using that help? Uh, yeah, I mean, I love Google Excel or I love Excel and Google Docs. So I use that religiously to, um, to organize my reports and such. Um, I'm still old fashioned. I still keep copy of my reports and such. Um, so uh, for the, I actually just recently switched to Toast POS system. Um, so for a while I was using Aloha um, and, and it, it worked out. It, 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 I mean, it still works out, honestly, or Aloha would have been fine, but I knew Money Cat, I was going to switch to Toast. So I, I, it made sense to switch to both. Um, so with Toast, it, everything's a lot more streamlined. Um, it's, it, I think it's a much bigger company. So support is there as well too. Um, but the way it generates reports um, and the customizability is, is it, it makes it pretty easy. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't say I completely engulfed myself in technology. I think I'm still relatively old school using physically printed out reports and, and Excel and Google Docs or Google Docs, probably not so old fashioned, yeah. but um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I completely engulfed myself in technology, but uh, I think I'm slowly getting there. I mean, just, you have to, you just to get with the times. Otherwise, you know, 10 years from now, you're using paper reports and you're not going to survive. I think we'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, Sherman, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for taking your time. Um, I, I really uh, enjoyed listening to your story of getting in the business, how you quickly got some positive impact into Tobias um, and watched it um, improve during a time that was horribly challenging. And we wish mm-hmm. you tremendous success with the opening of Money Cat, which sounds like it's right around the corner. Yeah, thank you so much, Kristen Berry. I really appreciate your time and really getting to know my story as well, too. Now, we appreciate your story and we wish you the best of luck. And, and hopefully when I make my next pass through Houston with Chris, uh, we can uh, drop in and, and, and check out at least one of your concepts. Definitely, definitely. I, I appreciate You know that. where to go for some good sushi. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. <laughs> Well, thank you. And for all you listeners, thanks so much for joining. Stay tuned and join us very soon on another episode of Corner Booth. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.